welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today are crew members Jara. Hello. And Grace. Hello. And our special guest Annika is back. Hi there. So Annika was last on the show with us back on episode 48, Star Trek for Girls. And has been on a few previous times. Uh, but do you want to remind everyone about who you are and what you do? Yeah, tell us your deal. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I am Annika Dane. And I photocap Voyager, uh, which means I make funny captions on screen captures of the episode <laughs> and post them to Tumblr. And I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> you also are a prolific writer. That's true. I am a prolific writer and I, I write for a few different blogs, uh, Women at Warp and Geek Mom um, and What the Fangirl and a few others here and there. <laughs> and I do panels, <laughs> lots of panels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So before we get into our main topic today, which is Belana Torres, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media to silly watch along commentaries. And uh, if you'd like to do that, you can visit us at patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as this episode is released, we are just about two months away from Star Trek Las Vegas. That's right, yeah. Woo! And I will be there, and Grace is planning to be there, and Annika will be there. Yay! So come say hi to all of us. All right, so let's talk Belana, shall we? Yeah, because we did recently a Klingon Women episode, and we ran out of time before we could even get to Bolana, and realized she definitely needed her own episode anyway, so I'm glad we are getting to this discussion. That definitely speaks for how much we had to say in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, looking through the episodes that Bolana is featured in, I was really struck by how many are just really good episodes. Uh, like you know that doesn't always happen when you think of like say chakotay centric episodes <laughs> it's almost <laughs> as though bolana is an interesting character with lots <laughs> of story potential she's my favorite character <laughs> you have a good favorite she's a great character to have as your favorite so the interesting thing we get when we get to voyager right at least this is how how i see it a lot of the time is that our main stories tend to revolve around captain, science officers, and engineers. And up until now, those have mostly been men. Yeah. The exception being technically Judzia or slash Dax is your science officer on DS9. When also, we get to Voyager, Sarah McDougal, the single episode chief engineer of the Enterprise D. Yes. <laughs> not, not a main cast member, but thank you. But when we get to Voyager, our captain and our chief engineer are both women. Which, yep. Therefore, suddenly we have more episodes than we ever have before focused on the women on the ship. What? And that's also, what's astounding to me. <laughs> so many episodes that pass the Bechdel Wallace test. Yes. And they're always solving problems with science. Because, like, I. I tried to make a top 10 list of Beverly Crusher episodes, and there aren't even 10 episodes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's more than 10 Bolana episodes. We're probably just going to have to, you know, pick some of our favorites, yeah. um, highlights and lowlights, and go through sort of the, the most memorable moments. It just goes to show that when you choose to focus on your, your women characters, that they're more than one-dimensional. For sure. I think Belana is one of the most real and most well-rounded characters on Voyager. Yes. Oh, without a doubt. I would totally agree. And it's almost like they did it purposefully. I mean, obviously they did do it purposefully, but there's a pattern. Like every third episode of the season is a Belana episode. So it's How like is that, right? <laughs> it's like they were trying to actually have an arc and and, you know, 
bring her up over and over again in the same kind of like check in with Bolana. And that's definitely not something we get to see on, um, for example, we don't see that happen a lot with our women characters on, say, TNG. We don't have them having a continuous arc over even a single season quite like that, do we? Although it did sort of start to happen near the end, and so that makes sense that that carried into Voyager, because pretty much the whole team that was working on writing Next Generation near the end of the series moved over to Voyager, and you have Jerry Taylor as executive producer. Um, and so it makes sense um, that she was someone who pushed Trey and Crusher episodes at the end, uh, the last couple seasons of TNG, that you would have this sort of let's keep checking in with the main characters kind of in a rotation in Voyager. And I mean, when the they were developing the show, um, she said, this is a character with a lot of self-exploration to do. She is the character that many people might identify with. She has some aspects of herself she wishes she didn't have. And what she will come to wrestle with, as all of us like that must do, is to accept herself for what she is and go on rather than wishing she could purge herself of something that she doesn't find comfortable. So that was that was part of where they were coming from. I like how we this character. We kind of get to see that literally at one point, don't we? Yes. I like <laughs> that they had this plan and they stuck to it. Yeah. You know, because so many times we hear the plans for a character and they were never followed through on. Or we get that whole, well, we wanted to maybe do something interesting, but it just, you know, it didn't happen. But we see Balana deal with depression and self-hatred and self-harm. And it doesn't go away at the end of the episode. This is something we see this character struggling with over three, four, five seasons. And we see her grow and learn to accept herself. And it's really a phenomenal arc. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how um, we have a lot of alien characters throughout the Star Trek franchise. But I think that Bellana really is the one that, uh, despite the outsider status of being an alien definitely has the most going on that you can empathize with as a character, both in the, in the sense that she's troubled, but in the sense that she's coming from a place of some very human struggles that we don't always feel that comfortable talking about in media. Hmm. So Annika, why is she your favorite character? Um, so I had, what, what I say is that uh, my, one of my favorite character archetypes or character arcs that um, someone can have is the coming of age as an adult storyline. Um, because Ooh. I think it's sort of ridiculous that people <laughs> come of age when they're you know, like 13 or 14 because no one, no one knows who they are when they're 14. And that's the point of coming of age, but you don't, you don't figure it out in one year. Um, and so Belana is someone who she's clearly an adult and she thinks she should have it all together. Um, but she's been struggling with trying to figure out how she fits into the universe her whole life. Um, and she just keeps coming back to that and how she feels like she doesn't belong anywhere. Um, and by the end of the series, she's sort of built this community and family. Um, so that she absolutely belongs on Voyager and, and that's where she is and, and how, where she can be comfortable. And what's so amazing about it is that Voyager is a journey. So she doesn't belong any one place. She just belongs with these people and, and, uh, with this, this idea of, of going home and looking for home. It's really good. I really like that idea of coming of age stories for adults because isn't that part of being a full dimensional character constantly growing mm -hmm. and changing? Exactly. You never, you never stop really. You, you're always going to, you know, keep looking for more of yourself. It's a really good take on her. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a quote from Roxanne Dawson uh, from the Voyager rap party in 2001, where she described Balana as an unruly teenager who grew into a woman over the course of seven years. See? <laughs> and it's just, it's such a beautiful and concise character description. Valana and Roxanna both know what's up. So I would like to take you back in my time machine to 1995. <gasps> oh. Insert harp strings. <laughs> and then it slowly transitions into 
MC Hammer slide music because <laughs> to, to show the audience it's the 90s. So, or, you know, whenever you first watched Voyager, do you remember what your first impressions of Bolana were? Annika? <laughs> so, honestly, I don't remember what my first impressions of Bolana were. Um, she's, I mean, I will say that uh, she's not really much of a character in Caretaker. Like, her entire characterization is, I hate being a Klingon. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, and she doesn't have much to go on, and it's not until the third episode, which I really consider as sort of like the third part of the pilot, because um, mainly because it, it uh, sets out where everyone's going to end up, and um, and then Belana has you know it's it's her episode. Um, but I sort of, and I actually wrote this on your blog, is that uh, she sort of creeped up on me. She wasn't my first favorite character. I, I wasn't like a huge Klingon fan. So it was sort of like, eh, really, we have to have more Klingons. <laughs> and, um, but as the, the series went on, I realized that I related to her the most. Um, because of this whole like, I don't know where I don't know how I fit in here. And I really want to have a connection to people. But at the same time, I'm sort of terrified of having that connection to people. Um, so it, it crept up on me and it wasn't until like, you know, the fourth season that, that I was like, oh, well, actually, she's my favorite character. Yeah, I she didn't strike me as my favorite. I mean, like Janeway was instantly my favorite, um, but that was also the age that I was. And I was looking for like role models and I didn't really see Bolana so much as a role model. Um, she was more, you know, like someone else who was growing up. And a contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so more someone to identify with as like someone to go through struggles with than someone to aspire to be at that time. Um, but what really the first moment where I was like, okay, I like her is in Parallax when she punches Carrie in the nose. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Iconic. Yeah. And I just, I love that episode. That is like the third episode. I love that one so much. It's all just Janeway and Bolana <laughs> sciencing things and uh, Bolana sort of explaining more about why she dropped out of the academy and Janeway letting her know that, you know, people thought better of her than she had, ex she had actually believed. And it's just such a great Janeway Bolana episode. Yeah, that scene in the ready room where the two of them are, are figuring out the problem together stuck with me since I first saw it, you know, however long ago that was. And it it's something that I think about a lot now when I'm I'm reading or thinking about like girls in STEM fields is that episode in particular. But not only does it set up for us who Bellana is who we're starting out with, but it sets up who Janeway is. Um, mm -hmm. because I, I wish it had developed more, but they're giving us Janeway the mentor, right? Yeah. And she's going to give this troubled young woman, cause she's supposed to be like 22, a chance to prove herself. And she's going to believe in her and support her and collaborate with her. And, that was a relationship that in 1995 we did not see often between women on television. And it was just really important. Well, part of what's cool about them keeping uh, Bellana so consistently active in season one is that she serves as a really great foil character for establishing what all these other characters are about. She brings out something different in a lot of the people around her, like different between Chakotay and Janeway, just as a really sort of hard-headed lady with a chip on her shoulder she everyone's gonna interact with that differently and i think that really helps with establishing the entire uh the entire crew totally it also starts the um i mean we get a bit of of Bolana's relationship with chakotay and in, in caretaker but that also continues here where he is trying to sort of coach her into being a better version of herself and um, that was interesting. Um, I remember, like, the first few seasons not really being sure where they were going with that. Yeah, I kind of um, feared the I worst. Am, 
or I'm really glad they didn't go a romantic route because oh, Chakotay right? definitely yeah. seems like more of a father figure. Yeah, that would have been so uncomfortable. But it is, uh, I think that they're, they have some nice moments in this episode and some other ones. Some less good ones as well, which we can get into <laughs> later. <laughs> um, what about you, Grace? Well, honestly, I think I've gone over this before, but the first time I actually saw any episodes of Voyager, I was a very small child in grade school, and that was just because it was kind of on. So my little kid mind just read Balana as angry woman. Yeah. Mm. Angry woman until I went back and watched it, I think, in middle school, early high school. And then I just kind of dug the fact that Balana was an angry woman. I've I've, I'm going to say this again till I'm blue in the face. I really appreciate that with Bellana, we get a character that is allowed to be, to have that chip on her shoulder and how that isn't painted as her great character flaw. As a woman, you so often don't get to see complicated emotions or people who just are abrasive if they're women. We have this level of needing that to see them niceified, to see them always be approachable. There are so many things that we just, don't as an audience consider acceptable behavior with women that we don't even really think about. See our unlikable women characters episode. Yeah. I mean, there are actually like multiple episodes where the, like, you know, the Klingon episodes where they're trying to say that angry, passionate side of her is actually a strength. And, and so it's like, not only is it not bad, but you should embrace that and, and learn from it. And God knows that middle school and early high school Grace needed that. (laughs) Someone who's getting angry and having people around her being like, okay, you do you, you be angry. Without people being like, hey, you need to be making this easier on the people around you. You're not allowed to have these feelings that are inconvenient for us. How dare you? I mean, it might be a little on the nose, but in (laughs) in faces, um, her human side literally says to her Klingon side, I can't do this without you. Yeah. Literally on the nose. In Faces. <laughs> faces is such a good episode, uh-huh. too. It's like, I mean, for a season one, I think it's maybe my favorite Voyager season one episode. Yeah. And it's like one of my favorite episodes of all the seasons. Yes. <laughs> the concept of Enemy Within, but so much better yeah. in so many ways. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting here. Is that the one where we get the, oh, God, reveal at one point? Or is that a different uh, one? With the Bilana? one where the creepy Vidian takes the guy as his face. <laughs> That's reveal. the one. That's the one. Durst. Durst. Look, I was fascinated by the Vidians. I loved that storyline. Yeah. <laughs> but did you love the whole, oh God, why part of that? I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cutting off the nose to spite the face. <laughs> I'm here. It also my... sets up, uh, sets her up for uh, the episode uh, "Life Signs," where she's having issues with helping save Dinara Pell's life. <laughs> so even like that early on in this series, they were starting to lay some groundwork for longer term development of her character. Which again, rad that they knew they had a bunch of stuff they wanted to do with this character long term from the get go. And we're just going to kind of be like, ah, we'll play it by ear. Like they did with some characters. Well, they also didn't, you know, do this episode and then check it off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that this is continued throughout her arc. I call it the introduction of Belana's anxiety disorder. Mm. (laughs) Accurate. It is also the introduction of a potential romantic relationship. What? (laughs) <laughs> Any thoughts on that, Annika? <laughs> the relationship or in this particular episode? <laughs> in, this, oh, in this particular episode at this point. Um, okay, so first of all, early Tom Paris has some problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every version of Tom Paris has some problems. Let's just establish yeah, that right he, off the bat. He does sort of eventually grow. but he, he evolves. In the first season, he's really kind of terrible. Like... And it's sort of interesting because even then, like, the way that Robert McNeil plays him is not, like, as skeevy and slimy as he's written. And it's yeah. really yeah. it's really weird. It's just this, like, strange. <laughs> but in this particular episode, uh, she says that she 
was so embarrassed of her forehead ridges when she was a young child that she um, would like try to cover it up with hats and scarves and, 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 you know, grow her hair out. And, and he's like, Oh yeah. You know, my, my dad would make me get this terrible haircut once a year. It was the worst. I love how that's the closest he can come to empathize. I had a shitty haircut once. I know exactly how you feel. And it's just like, wow, that is just oh gosh. so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a great uh, analogy of reality. because It's kind of like going up to a homeless guy and going, I know what you mean. I, I had to skip lunch once in college. Sucks, right? I know exactly how you feel. Especially like, because he's, you know, he's, the most privileged. <laughs> like, yes. he, he came from this this amazing dynasty of of, of uh, Starfleet families, and he was given every opportunity. Like mm-hmm. even when he accidentally killed people, he still like <laughs> wasn't in trouble for a long time. Oh my god, guys! Does Tom Paris have affluenza? <laughs> he got demoted and then re-promoted, <laughs> and Kim never even got promoted the once. He was literally let out of jail to go on this mission. And then he's a deadbeat dad. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you meant when you said he evolved, right, Sue? (laughs) I am ashamed that I didn't make that terrible joke. Sorry, that's not a Balana episode. We can just... (laughs) Pretend it never happened. Those poor lizard babies. But we'll come back to the Tom and Balana stuff because it. uh, I quite like it later on. It just at this point, you know, it's sort of like Bashir telling Kira he understands the frontier. <laughs> Can you imagine if Bashir and tried to emphasize with Kira by telling her he had a shitty haircut as a kid? So, <laughs> because we've started talking about that this particular journey for Balana, I guess, let's jump ahead a little bit chronologically and talk about what is apparently called the Torres Trilogy. I had not heard that before today, but that is um, Day of Honor, Extreme Risk, and Barge of the Dead. I assumed it was going to be a line of comfortable SUVs. <laughs> a Taurus Trilogy. I don't think Ford picked up on that. Interesting. Oh, oh, because they're all the third episodes of the seasons? Well, I think because they sort of okay. go together, too. Yeah, kind of. I mean, certainly Day of Honor and Barge yeah. of the Dead have a lot in common with each other. I rewatched Barge of the Dead again today and was just really struck by the the scene towards the end where when she is surrounded by everyone she knows and, you know, um, Tuvok throws the batleth at her and says, defend yourself. And, like, the first thought that comes to mind is I remember um, Lower Decks when Worf says that to Cito. Defend yourself. In the Makbara challenge. Um, Does that mean he's her wharf? Well, a little bit. That'd be a stretch, but... but... I mean, then they all just start accusing her of things and repeating to her the stuff that she thinks about herself and saying, defend yourself. So it's not about physical defense. It's about her, what she does to herself, that she feels like she has to constantly be on the defensive. And then she admits that she's tired of fighting these things. And the Batleth mm-hmm. flies away, and she, like, the the dawning that she doesn't have to defend herself. She doesn't have to defend herself to anyone. And it's just, I really like it. I think it's a really, really well done scene. Also just a pretty cool concept for an episode. I am really glad that we get to see so much of Bellana's arc. Uh, her arc and her struggle, especially in a show that has kind of a premise from day one of get from point A to Mm -hmm. point B that for Bellana it's all the emotional journey it's all about getting not from point A to point B physically it's about her just growing and going forward and moving on from crap that's happened to her in the past that's pretty incredible that a show about Voyage, uh, that the show Voyager is about an internal and external voyage in that way and she starts out, you know, not really needing to get back to the Alpha Quadrant. Like, she doesn't really care because she doesn't, she doesn't have really have anything back anyone there. there. Um, but by the end, she's reconnect. Like, she's found connections not only to the people on the ship, but also to people back home. Like, 
with this episode with her mother and her Klingon heritage. And then um, later on in the seventh season, she starts talking to her father again. And it's like by going through this internal journey on Voyager, she's also reconnecting to her past. Annika, you also wrote about her dealing with depression uh, for our blog, the first post, actually. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Extreme Risk? Sure. So that was the episode that really it struck me and and became like this sort of oh I this is this character is actually me <laughs> and and now I understand um what what I should be paying attention to in this entire series. And so when I did like start a rewatch a couple years ago, I actually started it like thinking that I was I would focus on Velada in each episode and see like how she fits into the entire patchwork of the series. Um, and it's because of Extreme Risk in, in which they find out that um, all of the Maquis have uh, been killed back in the Alpha Quadrant and she, you know, no one she knows back there is alive or well. Um, and the fight has been lost, basically. And she can't handle the emotions that that stirs in her. Um, so she starts trying to hurt herself in the holodeck by turning off the safeties and just allowing um, them to, to beat her up. And it's a version of self-harm. That she is this, you know, really smart. Uh, you know, I, I consider her to be like the smartest person on the ship. Janeway is the only person who, who even gets a possibility. Um, and, and also like she has so many friends. She's already with Tom Paris at this point. Um, she has Janeway and Chakotay as mentors and she really has a good relationship with everybody. Um, even, uh, like Tuvok and yet she feels completely alone and needs to to work it out in some way like she can't ask for help and that was just it was very powerful to me and to see everybody sort of come together and try to pull her out of it and have it not be over at the end have her still be struggling that she does like save the day and solve the problem and and she starts working with people again but the episode ends with her being like very introspective by herself in the mess hall and, and sort of acknowledging that it's an ongoing struggle that she's going to have to continue dealing with this depression because it doesn't, it doesn't go away at the end of a 45 minute episode. And what a, what a wonderful thing to see come from a franchise that originally was based really so much on that episodic idea of, okay, here's our problem. We will solve it in 40 minutes or less. Then we will never really talk about it again to have someone being depressed, someone who's wanting to hurt themselves and then saying at the end, yeah, this is sometimes something you just kind of have to live with and work through it. it. You don't get a happy ending. You have, unless you work towards it over time, it's a struggle. And the acknowledgement of it as a struggle is so important. Yeah, They directly acknowledge that she is dealing with depression. Yeah. And I think this is actually one of Star Trek's best explorations of mental health ever Mm -hmm. um i mean the bar was not very high but it's very (laughs) it's a very good episode uh but i have to take issue with uh chakotay's approach to this situation because this is like the only part of this episode that really i find really difficult to watch is when chakotay decides that basically she needs to be snapped out of it through an intervention where um he confronts her with the hologram or the holodeck program she's created of the people that she that they knew dying and in i get that it's an episode that there's time limits and that you know it's probably not as exciting tv to watch someone like gently support someone out of it um or like towards recovery which is unfortunate because that's what's usually needed Mm -hmm. yeah because that kind of approach could be seriously counterproductive if you were to apply it to a real world situation to like basically angrily uh confront them with traumatic images 
And that's just no way to be able to trust someone after they've been like, nope, we're going to snap you out of this. This will all be over and we can go back to the status quo. If you're in it deep, what do you, how do you, how are you supposed to respond to that? Totally. I think it is sort of saved by the fact that she doesn't, you know, quote unquote, snap out of it. Like she does, like you were saying, need time and it's acknowledged it's going to be a process. And she even tells him that. Don't try this at home. (laughs) Don't. Don't well, do what Chakotay did, people. I think people. it's fair to say, don't be Chakotay. <laughs> good advice. Exposure therapy is not ideal for depression and anxiety. And also deciding that you can just kind of fix your friend. Mm. No. I also get the sense that he takes it personally, which is not helpful. Like, it's not about you, yeah. Chakotay. Really not. Um, but o- overall, it's a really good episode. The only reason I I wouldn't necessarily put it in a trilogy with those other two episodes is the other two are like very focused yeah. on the Klingon discontent with being Klingon that's, or part that's Klingon. not the trilogy that I I have my own been on a trilogy which is faces extreme risk and lineage. Mm. Uh. That makes more of a, an arc to me. <laughs> cool. Do you want to talk about lineage a bit? I love lineage. Yeah. So. This is when Belena finds out she's pregnant and she realizes uh, that the baby is going to have little Klingon ridges on its head, just like she does. Um, and she is thrown right back into that same um, anxiety and depression that she has in Faces and Extreme Risk, where she's just like, this is, you know, she remembers how horrible she felt as a child because she didn't look like everyone else and they considered it ugly. So she had, she remembers growing up and how she thought that being a Klingon is why her father left and that, you know, she blamed the, the breakup of her parents' marriage on, and her family on the fact that she had forehead ridges. And so if the baby has forehead ridges, then they're going to be too Klingon and Tom's going to leave and everything's going to fall apart. And so she actually tries to redesign her baby to not be at all Klingon, which is is a bad solution. (laughs) It's not a good idea. Um, Luckily, they they intervene. And this is where I love Tom Paris because... (laughs) He comes in at the end and he's like, I, I'm not at all afraid of, you know, who you are and, and your Klingonness. And I love that about you. And I'm going to love our baby because it's our baby. And, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to leave. And if I ever feel like I want to, we'll talk about it. I'm not just going to disappear on you. And, um, that's we- what I mean by evolved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it's yeah, I so that's you know the I see the three line from faces to line, uh, through extreme risk into lineage for both of them um and and how and it's an it's another example of her her issues don't go away they keep cropping up and keep sort of gripping her but she learns how to deal with them and how to address them and how to talk about them with other people and this episode's also a prime example of what I was talking about earlier with so much of Bellana's story being so incredibly relatable and human-based. And I think anyone who has come from a family where things kind of fell apart and the parents weren't speaking to each other anymore, who had to deal with this thing of, God, you're being just like your mother or you're being just like your dad in any degree can tell you how much that can hurt to have someone referring to something that is intrinsically a part of you that you do not get to just remove and how sometimes you wish you could remove that. And I think anyone who's come from especially a culturally mixed or mixed race family where that was the case where you were showing behavior similar to a family member who was different than another one and that was kind of used as the catalyst for someone's anger that can be horrible. It can be terrible. And I think this is one of kind of the only times I've seen that addressed on TV, actually. Another case where stories about aliens are the only way people are comfortable talking about a thing that a lot of people just kind of have to live with. And it's horrible and uncomfortable. And that sometimes you do wish you could just 
edit yourself so that it is one or the other. So that might just be personal experience talking. No, I'm sure everybody has that experience at some point. And she's, she is middle at school aged in those, in those flashbacks. And so it's, it's, I think it's hugely <laughs> Nothing is good in middle school. <laughs> Speaking as the parent of a middle schooler. I think by this point in the series, when I first watched it, I was like quite impatient for her to get to like what I wanted, again, like this sort of like aspirational role model figure to be. And I was frustrated that like lineage to me, like felt like a setback for her because she's going through these same things again. Um, but I realize now that like that, that is pretty realistic. <laughs> um, at first I sort of felt like, oh, I want a different story, but. Um, I, I do really like, um, how Tom approaches the situation and I think it is totally believable that, you know, that going through something really life changing, like getting pregnant and then being able to like see your baby would, you know, cause that type of uh, response from her. Does anyone else just love the bit or immediately at the beginning where they find out that Balana's pregnant and Ichib just has this look on his face like, oh god, I got her pregnant by staring at her too long. <laughs> you know, like a 14-year-old boy does. <sighs> so any other favorite episodes or scenes we want to discuss? Okay, I want to talk about Blood Fever. <laughs> oh my god. I have so much to talk about in Blood Fever. Yeah. Yeah, it's more that it's it's like it's our public service need in me, and I can't. We can't not talk about it. Is it is it a biological urge to talk about it? God. Yeah, it comes up every seven years, and if I don't return home to my podcast to talk about this episode being problematic, then I get really unpleasant and throw soup at nurses. Are you comparing? Recording our podcast upon far. Uh, no, Jera, I knew you liked doing this, but damn, <laughs> uh, keeps me logical. Uh, okay, so um, there actually there are some some elements of blood fever that work quite well, I think, in terms of um, the way that Tom handles the issue of consent. Um, so start with positive note, uh, that, you know, basically Valana's going through Ponfar and Tuvok's like, Tom, I'm going to like order you to have sex with her it's for her own good. <sighs> Tom is like not super comfortable with this. Yeah. That is good. Um, and then even when she says she wants it, he is like, this is not how I want this to happen because she is clearly like under the influence of Ponfar, which they know would you know, be the equivalent of being, like, massively high stoned, but also, like, murderous and sexy. <laughs> Murder stoned? Murder stoned. She gets to punch Bork. <laughs> well, who wouldn't want that? To is that is also good. Yeah. That is great. I... I mean, I do love that she basically gets herself out of the situation. Like, all of the dudes are trying to figure out these, like, workarounds. The doctors made, like, a holographic sex Vulcan for Vorik, and Tuvok and Tom have this plan, but at the end of the day, it's her punching Vorik that gets her back in. I love how when they try this for Tuvok, he's like, this isn't quite like my wife. I've got some, uh, it's not gonna work for me. I'd... Not quite right, but Vorik's just like, I'm in! And if we learned anything from a muck time, it's that violence and sex are the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean I go to the bedroom and start playing? Da, 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 da. I think you should. But I, I mean, I do love the whole like I am not your mate yes. part, where she's like starts basically like you know Tom doesn't get to beat you up, I get to beat you up. Yes. And it's kind of I mean like you know I it it, it feels at this point like. It needs to happen in some way because at the beginning of this episode, which is the part that really, really bothers me, Vorik is starting to undergo Ponfar and is so creepy to Bolana. God, unbelievably um, creepy. And assaults her. Mm -hmm. And she 
hits him really hard and he ends up in sick bay and no one's like are you okay Bolana?" everyone's like oh poor Vorik. Vorik's not okay Vorik got punched well it also reinforces this idea of oh, like oh no his face got in the way of your swinging fist but it, it reinforces this idea of like oh he's just he's so horny he can't control it totally because he uh, like he's basically grabbing her face and talking about like how I have superior physical strength, which we would would be necessary to complement Klingon mating practices. Right? Oh. And she, that at that point, she is grabbing his arms and punching him to get him off her. But there is no acknowledgement that like this is actually a like pretty realistic prelude to sexual and domestic violence that is not uncommon mm-hmm. and the oh i hate to use the word excuse ugh, that you hear from ugh. terrible people is like well you put a stake in front of a wolf you know what you're a person ugh. you're not a wolf and women are not pieces of meat i am not your stake <laughs> there is there really is so much in this episode i mean it's not great but there is a lot to talk about that i do want to do a full episode on blood fever at some point for sure. We're going to have to title it Blood Fever Fever, though. <laughs> but another Bolana episode that I really love, that I really stuck in my head from the very first time I watched it, is Dreadnought, mm-hmm. which is a lot of Bolana arguing with a ship that she built. And <laughs> I think it's a testimony to Roxanne Dawson's acting ability that she can carry those scenes. And it is a super tense episode, given that it's basically her arguing with a ship, but it's a, you know, killer robot ship story. Um, <laughs> Another reoccurring theme for Bolana yes. is machines trying to Killer kill robots. <laughs> yeah. I also love Prototype, but I think in Dreadnought, you know, she's grappling with the fact that she created this thing and it has her voice, mm-hmm. too. So it's Which is additionally just super creepy. creepy. Yeah. Uh, I love that episode. Any other people want to throw moments or episodes in? I just appreciate Bolana's arc so much that we get to see someone go through that growth and change. And she grows not through vindication, but through learning and emotionally growing. And I, I know I was joking about this earlier. I do really love that we get to see her kind of engineering, mentoring Ijeb because you know she just would have stood for none of that shit in season one. She would have just just stuck him in the airlock and been like, nope, not my problem. But by the end, she's like, yeah, okay, I guess. I guess I'll teach you stuff. (laughs) I I guess I'll deal with you being a teenager. (laughs) I have a moment that's not in a Philana episode. Yeah. The second season episode, Resistance, which is like Mm -hmm. really random, where Janeway is like on a planet with uh, with Joel, Joel Grey. Grey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. But, Great Joel Grey episode. But Vilana and Tuvok are in prison together. Oh, yeah. And, like, she's, you know, she just wants to punch her way out of there. And she's like, oh, you know, I, you know we can take the guards. And, and I'm just going to hit the wall. And, and she just really is this active, sulky, you know, I just want to beat something up. And Tuvok is just sitting there. You know, being Vulcan and sitting like he's like, if we just don't say anything and 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 observe them, and we'll fi- you know we're going to figure it out this way. Guys, Tuvok is the sapphire to her ruby. <laughs> <laughs> That's your Steven Universe <laughs> reference for the episode. <laughs> but by the end, when they when they do when they do like um, escape, they, it's like they learned, like Tuvok is, is punching people and, <laughs> and Delana is, is working the problem and like fixing the lights or something. She's doing some kind of engineering mm-hmm. thing. So they like switched. It's like, I love, I just love that, that they, in this really small, you know, it's not even, it's not even a, a third plot of the episode that they deep plot at all, you know? But but they just sort of connect and switch over, and I just I I they have like very few scenes together, but I really love that dynamic. I also love Janeway's Lady of the Evening outfit. It's just a scarf. <laughs> She's wearing a sexy scarf. You see, Lady of the Evening. Oh, resistance. Also, what's the one where we get to see Balana wearing awesome Klingon maternity gear? <laughs> 
the episode itself I felt was kind of middle of the road, but I just really appreciated that for some reason. Was it the, the one where like her 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 baby is like the is some kind of Klingon Jesus figure? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Which uh, okay. <laughs> But again, just roll with it. Yeah, just okay. <laughs> Looking through some uh, quotes from Roxanne Dawson, it's wonderful in a lot of ways to see how, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, how the plans for this character really came to fruition. I mean, in a 1995 Starlog interview, she says, Bolana is a character that you can look forward to watching as she grows and progresses. The more conflict, the better, as far as I'm concerned, as she tries to reconcile the two sides of herself. There's so much potential here, and I can see that I can see this being a very satisfying experience for the next several years. And then in 2011, talking to Trek Movie, she says, if you look at her from the first episode, episode through all her transitions internally, as a couple with Tom, as a member of the crew, it was great. She grew, she changed, she wasn't perfect, she failed and recovered. I never felt like they left her on the sidelines. I think she continued to change and grow through all seven seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how in Endgame, to um, like, Bolana and Morale, they're, like, part of, you know, Janeway's loyal cohorts, kind of, and she's you know, clearly never given up her connections to this family that she made on Voyager. Which is great. And and definitely is not something we would have seen from Alana when we first met her. Yeah. Another thing that I also wanted to mention, too, is um, that because it's significant, even though it wasn't significant in the stories, is that Roxanne Dawson is um, she describes herself as of Latino descent, and the last name Torres is meant to indicate that she's half Latino. And then when we do see her father and cousins, that sort of reinforces that. But Roxanne Dawson had a quote uh, that um, it you know, uh, so she says, I'm of Latino descent, but that's something that wasn't brought up in any way because it really doesn't make a difference. I love that the attention was brought to the fact that she's half human and half Klingon. I love that the conversation regarding Tuvok centered around the fact that he is Vulcan and that we don't discuss that he's a black Vulcan. So, I mean, that's a very, like, Star Trek kind of thing, right? That we're at a better point in the future where race isn't an explicit issue and that's also why people did weren't always raising the fact like hey you have a woman captain mm-hmm. that's so weird in Starfleet yeah. <laughs> how does it feel to be a woman captain they told us that uh, as a culture we're past it and they showed us that we were past it yeah i mean i kind of think they probably could have pushed it a little bit further oh absolutely front because we're not really at that place in a society where we can you know, where you just be like, oh, I don't see race. But um, if you say that, you're I, probably a jerk. Well, but Voyager was built out of TNG and carried on a lot more mm-hmm. of that, uh, the worldview than Deep Space Nine, which did try to more explicitly address race. Yeah. I also. But it still is significant. Well, and it's not Belana specifically, but worth noting, of course, that Roxanne Dawson started directing while working yeah. on Voyager. Um, and it has been one of the few women to direct episodes of Star Trek uh, and multiple at that. And of course has now like really become a fantastic and prolific director. Mm-hmm. Yep. She has a long list of credits. And she had a baby during the series. Yes, yes, yes she did. But not when Bolana had no. a baby. But not when Bolana had a baby. <laughs> But- no, more around Year of Hell, where she, or not Year of Hell, um, Killing Game. Yeah. She, like, started having contractions on set. Oh, and, man. And, and oh, finished wow. her scene and then went to the hospital to have a baby. You know, a Nana pro. Visitor said something very similar when I interviewed her about, like, if she had to do it again, uh, she would be way more um, assertive about. Uh, her needs as a pregnant woman because the expectation at the time was just so like you are a problem if you're pregnant on set and 
um, you're expendable and could be could be gone anytime. So um, that basically you have to suck it up and and be like the least uh, demanding mm-hmm. that you can be uh, to the powers that be on set and the production. I wonder if that was different on the Voyager set. Yeah, but I mean, she said she thinks that there's a better environment today and certainly more room to be able to advocate for yourself. So that's good. All right. So I think unless anyone has any more final thoughts that it is just about time to wrap things up. We got to eat our blood pie before it gets too late. (laughs) All right. So Annika, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, You can go to manicpixiedust.com and find all my links to uh, Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook and YouTube. And it's Pixie Dane most places and Manic Pixie Dane on Twitter. Awesome. Jara? You can find me at Jara Penguin on Twitter. Grace? You can find me at Bonecrusher Jank. And also in the back of the Gach restaurant trying to scrounge up more blood pie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And you can find Women at Warp on Twitter at Women at Warp, on Instagram at Women at Warp, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Women at Warp, Women at Warp.com, or send us an email at crew at Women at Warp.com. I bet you noticed a pattern. It doesn't take a Bologna Torres to engineer that problem. Ah. And for ah. more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. podcast.roddenberry.com.